Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. Charlotte Readers Podcast Beyond 300 is about you, the listener. We want your feedback, opinions, recommendations, and questions. Email us or leave us a voice message and you might hear us mention you or play your message on the podcast. Just go to the homepage or contact page at charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the links to email us or leave a voice message. It's easy to do. Let's have some fun together. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. You can subscribe to Charlotte Readers Podcast wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. We're on all major podcast platforms. And the best part is, it's free. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, this is episode 318 of Charlotte Readers Podcast Beyond 300. I'm here today with uh, co-host Sarah Archer, as usual, and uh, of course, co-host Hannah LaRue is still on maternity leave, but... Joining us in her place today is uh, Kathy Collins, co-founder of the Charlotte Center for Literary Arts, and I think creative director. Have I got that title right, Kathy? That's what I'm going by these days. Okay. Well, Kathy, yeah, thanks welcome. Thanks for having welcome me. This... <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. And uh, before we jump into what's going to happen in this episode, tell us what's going on at Charlotte Lit. Oh, gosh. You want the long answer? Uh, well, you I'll give, give you us whichever answer you want to give us. Yeah, well, we've got, I mean, we've got a ton going on. So we had, we've had such a busy, busy fall with, you know, with our classes and Authors Lab and our big Romery Bearden initiative. We're in the middle of the Lit South contest, and we just had our first um, poetry nightclub event with Chen Chen. But the big news, as you guys already know, is that we've just moved to Huga's co-working uh, Belmont location. Uh, the Midwood International and Cultural Center, um, which has been our home for the last six years, is closing in May. So we've had to, to move along down the road, just about a mile down the road. And Hookah has fabulous energy. We've really enjoyed being there, um, getting to know our coworkers. And um, we're super excited to show the whole lit community our new digs at the holiday party on December 14th. So listeners, come on out. Just go to the charlottelit.org website and let us know you're coming so we have enough food and drink. Um, yeah, and uh, this will be coming yeah. out this episode on December the 13th. So when you listen, be sure to run in and sign up. It's free. You can go, and I'm going to try to be there too. And uh, right. it should be fun. Yeah, and, and that used to have a different name, and I'm glad you pronounced it uh, for us, Kathy, because I'm not sure how to say that again. Huga. And it's with a lowercase h, which is interesting, but it's a Swedish word that I think kind of means warm and cozy. Oh, and I do have one other thing that this is a collaborative thing to tell you about. So um, Charlotte Litt is collaborating with um, with Goodyear Arts, West Trade Journal and the Charlotte Poet Laureate Jay Ward on um, the Good Lit Emerging Poet Fellowship. And applications for that are open through December 15th. It's a year-long uh, fellowship. We're going to provide lots of rich content for this, the lucky winner of this. Um, and you can find out more information on our website. All right. That's great. Well, uh, Charlotte Lit, is, uh, you come a long way in four or five years and uh, a lot happening over there. And uh, looking forward to trying out the new space uh, when we're coming out of the 
pandemic and everything, and uh, it'll be fun. All right, well, look, let's jump in, and uh, what do we got for the lineup today, Sarah? Um, we've got a great lineup today. We're going to start with um, Cully Holderfield and his novel Hemlock Hollow, which is an Appalachian mystery that flows back and forth from the 1880 to the present day. One reviewer calls it a definite winner, and another says it involves an evocative sense of place where past and present collide to shed light on a century-old murder. Then next, we'll have a two-minute tip from Charlotte Litt, from yours truly, what to do with feedback. Yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, after that, we're going to have a feature involving children's authors Cheryl smiley Oliphant and Christopher Singleton, where they read their stories and talk about how they became interested in writing books for children and the advice they give other authors interested in doing the same thing. Yeah, and then next we're going to have our writing topic discussion. Um, we've got a community blog post we're going to discuss by author Courtney Donaldson called Everything Starts With the Foot, where she explores how writing the ending of her novel first helped to fuel her creativity and passion to complete the novel. And then we finish up today with reading recommendations, book pitches, community, and listener engagement, and what's coming up in the next episode. All right, yeah, this is a great, uh, great lineup today. Looking forward to it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we've talked a little bit about uh, Charlotte, and uh, we've got uh, it, December is upon us. Uh, so this is uh, going to be uh, a month full of activity, I'm sure. We hope you uh, like what we're doing here. Uh, we've got this episode with uh, Kathy uh, riding shotgun with us. And then uh, next episode, Paul Reale, her other co-founder, is going to ride shotgun with us. And then we'll have our end of year episode. But uh, we're going to jump right into uh, Act One uh, with our author feature uh, in just one moment. We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER and claim your free audiobook. All right, Act 1 here. Cully Holderfield, his book is Hemlock Hollow. Uh, Sarah, tell us a little about Holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, it's <laughs> Cully, Cully, Cully. Uh, Cully Holderfield. <laughs> it sounds like you're, you're echoing in the hollow there. Um, so, uh, Cully learned to love stories on the front porch of a cabin in a hollow in Western North Carolina. Um, he completed his studies at UNC Chapel Hill, then found his way to South America and later to Africa and Europe. Um, when he's not writing or working in community development and finance, he spends his time tromping through woods and paddling rivers. His short stories and poetry have appeared in a variety of publications, uh, but Hemlock Hollow is his debut novel and he lives in Durham. Yeah, and uh, his book uh, involves a character, Caroline McAllister, a college professor and lifelong skeptic who is reeling from the loss of her father and her marriage. Uh, her once promising career has come to a standstill, and she didn't realize her father had this uh, family cabin um, until he bequeathed it to her, and with it, the ghost who haunted her childhood. That's kind of a good setup. I'll, I think I'll stop there and let him tell us a little bit more about it. But he's gotten some praise for the book, right, uh, Sarah? Yeah, he's gotten some great feedback. Um, Vicki Lane, who's author of And the Crows Took Their Eyes, that's a great title, <laughs> says, um, past and present, loss and love intertwine in a magical mountain hollow. Holderfield's love of place shines in his sensitive descriptions while his storytelling enthralls the reader. Yeah, and this is a debut novel, which he talks about writing for a while. And we've got a few questions for him here, and we've got a reading from him. So uh, I think the, yeah, the first question we asked him, we asked him to talk about what led him to write this uh, historical mystery set in Appalachia and how his own experiences and his research uh, influenced the story. And here's what he had to say. So much like Caroline, the main character of Hemlock Hollow, my family owned a cabin in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Growing up, I spent a lot of summers and weekends there. 
And as a child, I would just head out into the woods. And I made all sorts of discoveries or what I thought were discoveries, old rock foundations and chimneys and roadbeds. I was fascinated by the history of the place. Uh, in college, I went to UNC. And there I'd learned to do historical research as a history major. And so afterward, I dug into the history of the Hickory Nut Gorge area. Um, I learned a lot about the families who settled the area, the fascinating history of the place. Uh, and from that, I created this fictional family who I called the Quins. They live in the 1800s on Saunter Branch, which is a, a fictional creek tucked in a fold of the Blue Ridge Mountains. And they've lived there only for a generation at that point. So they're kind of outsiders in their own time, similar to the way that Caroline is an outsider hers. Though they are, many can do consider them outsiders. Some of them develop a deep connection to the place, uh, similar to how Caroline does a hundred years later and, and much like I did as a child and as an adult. So that kind of uh, is where the story comes from. Yeah. I like how he, sort of uh, jumped into that. I, Kathy, you're uh, not a cabin in the woods, but a farmhouse out in the country now, right? Yeah, it's interesting how um, the woods really feed the imagination in that way. So I, I love novels like this, and I'm excited to peek into this one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, all right, well, we also asked him to tell us a little bit about his uh, protagonist, uh, who she is and what she's seeking, and some of the things uh, that stand in her way. And uh, here's what he had to say. The novel is told from really two points of view. It's Caroline McAllister in the here and now and Carson Quinn in the late 1800s. Caroline is a college professor who inherits her family's cabin. She finds it in a state of disrepair and starts to renovate it. In the process, she discovers a journal that was written by Carson Quinn. So the journal provides the second point of view from a century before. Um, in the voice of this boy, he's writing about his exploration of the same hills and hollows that Caroline had explored as a child. Caroline, at the beginning of the novel, is at a standstill in her life. Her father just died. She's gone through a divorce, and her once promising career in archaeology is floundering. Uh, she's inherited this cabin, and she remembers having had an encounter with a ghost as a child in that cabin. And then she discovers a journal that was written by Carson. She remembers the name, Carson Quinn. She remembers hearing the old timers talking about this, this man who likely murdered his brother. Uh, but in the journal, she finds a boy who's precocious, kind of like she was, and, and in love with the hollow like she was. And she doesn't believe that he could have murdered his own brother. So she, she dives into this project of exonerating him. And while she's digging into this past, uh, she finds herself knee-deep in her own personal past, uh, this past that she has long shied from exploring herself. Now, Sarah, we've talked about journaling before in the past. Well, I guess we've got to be careful about what we put in our journals, right? I know. You never know what future generations are going to find. <laughs> I do think that's a really <laughs> clever idea, though, to have two point of view characters, and one of them is through a piece of writing, through a journal. Um, that's, that's pretty creative. So I like that uh, juxtaposition of the two points of view. Yeah. Uh, Kathy, have you seen that? Now, now, you're a poet. Kathy's been on the show many times as a poet, and uh, Often in poetry, you have several point of views as well, right? Sometimes, maybe not. I don't know. Well, no, you do. I mean, uh, uh, particularly if you're taking on, you know, writing a persona poem, taking on, you know, a, a different character. Um, 
but what what feels the same in this story based on what he's what he's saying between that and, and poetry is this idea of being in this liminal space he's put his character in this space where she's between worlds and and literally um, you know ghosts are between worlds and so I, I it sounds it sounds really it sounds interesting so yeah well let's let's listen to a reading uh uh by Kelly uh from his book the narrator of the novel is named Caroline McAllister. She's just inherited this cabin in Western North Carolina, and this is the very beginning of the book. The box wasn't much to look at. Old and metal, at one point it had probably been gray. Over the years it had oxidized green. There were three clasps on the front, now corroded with grit and rust. Micah and his crew had discovered it in the attic and carted it through the old cabin to the card table we had set up out back. Decades of dirt and dust left a trail through the loft, down the stairs, and up the hill. More crumbled onto the tarp I had laid out. My family had owned the cabin for my entire life and had never seen this box before. It had been sitting in an attic I didn't know existed, waiting to be found for who knows how long. What do you say, Caroline? Micah asked, wiping his brow with a bandana. He tugged at his scraggly beard. Should we open it? I pondered the box whether to toss it and its mystery contents into the giant waste bin out front or to open it and take the plunge into a dark past that I had spent a lifetime trying to escape. Down the hill, Micah's crew continued with their demolition work, their sledgehammers echoing up the hollow. Up the mountain, a crow called. Well, Micah asked, I can get a crowbar. I sighed, my reluctance giving way to curiosity and compulsion. If you get me a blowtorch and a flathead screwdriver, I can open this. I am an archaeologist, after all. That's so? His eyes widened. He took off his Volko hat and ran a hand through his untamed hair. Like Indiana Jones? Everyone's favorite archaeologist was in no way an archaeologist, but rather than lecture my general contractor, I shook my head. No, I said, more interpretive than old Indy. Less running from boulders and ghosts, and more thinking about the ancient stars and writing about them. You best watch what you say, Micah said. Opening that box may release the spirit of the hollow. He chuckled, winked, and plunged down the mountain to his old pickup truck. I laughed at his joke, but that was exactly what I was afraid of. I love this hook. What do y'all think? You want to read this book now, right? <laughs> I know. I need to know what's in that box. <laughs> yeah, what, what's in the box? I love the references to Indiana Jones as well. I mean, he not only. I mean, the thing about this is it's nice. He's adding the. The texture of the landscape, but he's throwing in a little humor along with the suspense that comes with what's going to be opened up in the box, right? Yeah, and a ghost story somewhere in there, too, it sounds like. And a ghost story somewhere in there, too. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he threw in the crow. I, I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could have been a raven, but he threw in a crow, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, you know, we always like to talk on the podcast with our authors about uh, something related to their writing life. And uh, the question... Uh, we asked Hully was to talk a little bit about uh, his writing journey, that is, to publication. This is his debut novel, some of the challenges uh, he faced and any tips he has. So uh, here's uh, what he had to say about that. So the journey uh, to publication for me, this is my debut novel, um, and it's been a long time coming. I've uh, been working on the novel off and on for about 18 years Uh I started it after graduating college and, and after finishing a, a very bad first novel that one that's going to stay tucked away in an undisclosed location for as long as it can. Um, 
so I wrote with Hemlock Hollow, I wrote an entire first draft uh, that I wound up chunking. It, it, it was fine. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end, but it wasn't the book that I wanted to write. Uh, so I realized if I wanted to write the book I wanted to write, I'd have to chunk it. So I did. I revised it. I rewrote it again and revised it. And then I had it edited um, by the wonderful writer and editor, Mimi Herman, whose own book is coming out next year. I revised it based on her feedback. And then uh, as of now, nothing of that first draft remains. But I couldn't have written what I wrote without that bad first draft. And I really couldn't have written the bad first draft without the bad first novel. Um, so leads me to my advice to aspiring writers, which is twofold. One is persist. And two is let your passion lead the way. And I think writers hear the first advice a lot. You know, keep your butt in the chair advice, the write every day advice. Keep at it. And it's good advice, but it's really made much easier if you can tap into the passion that led you to write in the first place. Uh, Hemlock Hollow was a labor of love for me. It was a love for the history and a love for the place. And that place has, in many ways, made me who I am today. So my advice to aspiring writers is to keep whatever it is that's driving you to write in mind and let that lead to your persistence. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah. And thanks, uh, Kelly, for, for being on. And, and, you know, this is, you know, this is like these two minute tips, Kathy, that you and Paul provide to us. They, they, they're they all kind of things in here we could talk about, you know, based on what he said. I mean, there are too many ways to go. I, mean, I find uh, we've talked about persistence. We've talked about following your passion. Uh, we've talked, uh, interestingly, 18 years. Everybody thinks this is going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take. So, I'll just throw it out uh, quickly. Let's let's riff on a little bit here. Um, Kathy, what uh, what spoke to you about what he had to say? Yeah, it was that 18 years. (laughs) That's what that's what stood out to me Um, and the passion behind that. When you have a story that needs to be told, that that is your motivation, not not the fame, not the not any of the rest of it. But this is a story I want to tell and I'm willing to tear it up and write it again until I get it right. Pretty amazing. Yeah, Sarah? Yeah, well, first of all, I love that he worked with Mimi Herman on this. Um, I'm actually scheduled to talk to her tomorrow, and then we're going to have that interview on the podcast next month. Her book is wonderful, so definitely um, a good one to check out. But also, I, I love what he said about pairing your your persistence with your passion and how that's an important factor in it as well. Um, you might love an idea initially, and it might be an amazing idea, but when you're 15 drafts in and you've gotten so much feedback from other people and you've got all these other perspectives kind of in your head, it can be hard to, to hold on to that passion for your work. So keeping in mind what's important about it to you, what drew you to it in the first place, um, and keeping that alive, regardless of what changes you make, I think is really important. Yeah, and I, I echo all of that. I wrote a blog post once about finding your through line that relates to writing a novel and it is find something that you're passionate about that will string you from the beginning <laughs> to the end because if you don't, if you lose interest, uh, of course, you're never going to finish it, but the reader is going to lose interest too. So you got to be passionate enough about your project uh, to stay with it. And I know y'all preach that at Charlotte Litt, uh, Kathy. It's not just about learning the nuts and bolts, but it's about finding something you really want to write about, right? It is because there's there's too much stuff out there just to you know pick a su- new subject every day. You've got to be. It's got to come from inside you. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back with Act uh, 2. We're going to jump into Charlotte Lit 2-Minute Tip uh, and some more authors, so please stay with us. If you like what we're doing and would like to help us defray the cost of this podcast, 
please consider becoming one of our patrons through the Patreon website. For as little as $5 a month, say a coffee or a happy hour drink, you can help us out, and in return, we have a library of exclusive episodes, over 120, that you can access through the Patreon website. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Weir's podcast and join up. You can cancel any time, by the way, and we thank you in advance for whatever you decide to contribute. All right, uh, as usual, we've got uh, a two-minute tip from uh, Charlotte Litt. Uh, we've got uh, the tipper here right with us now. But we're going to actually play the audio, uh, and then we're all going to talk about it. Uh, Kathy provided this to us in advance. Uh, this uh, piece is called What to Do with Feedback, uh, which is pretty good. It kind of dovetails right on what we were hearing uh, from Cully Holderfield because he got a lot of feedback and chunked his novel and came back and made it even better and made what it is today. So let's hear what Kathy has to say, and then the three of us will discuss it. Hi, I'm Kathy Collins, co-founder and creative director of Charlotte Lit with this week's two-minute tip, what to do with feedback. You've probably heard this one before. If you're going to write, write first for yourself. It's good advice. If you aren't pleased or inspired by your own work, if it doesn't move you in some way, how can it move readers? On the other hand, your powers of perception are limited when it comes to evaluating the clarity and quality of that work. At some point in the writing process, You'll need another set of eyes, maybe an entire team of eyes, to identify what's working and what's not. Anyone who is serious about writing and publishing has received feedback on their work, whether from an instructor, beta reader, or editor. Indeed, if you've been in the writing game for a while, chances are good you meet periodically, maybe as often as weekly, with a critique or workshop group. But let's be honest, receiving criticism, no matter how well-intentioned, about a piece you have polished until you think it sings, Well, to be blunt, it can suck. In fact, opening an email attachment from an editor or sitting through the early rounds of workshop can set the old heart pounding. If you're like me, your first instinct is self-protection. Defend your pearls or risk utter annihilation. Hard as it is, resist this urge. I found that even the least experienced and most annoying group members will sometimes be the very ones to point out the gaping narrative hole I'd hopped right over in my first five drafts, or provide the metaphor that far exceeds the cheap substitute I'd forced into service. Of course, no matter how much it stings, good advice about clear flaws is easy to implement. What's harder are suggestions for substantive revision of writing that's doing its job. When, for instance, you've submitted writing that flows like the pre-drought Mississippi, hoping your mentor will reply, send this out today, you're going to win a prize with this one, but instead says, this is good, but it could be even better if you cut the first and last stanzas and move the whole thing from first to second person. What to do with that? The truth is you need never take anyone's feedback, but here's why you should. You work on a computer that will hold more versions of a poem, story, or entire novel than there are visible stars in the sky. Trying out a sound, if infuriating, suggestion won't cost you anything more than a little time. Set the piece aside for a while, a few days or weeks if you can. Then, once your last version is no longer ringing in your ear, get out of bed one morning before your ego wakes up, open a new Word doc, and spend 30 minutes giving it a whirl. Set this draft aside for three days, then read both versions again. Keep the one that works and toss the other. All right. Uh, that's really good stuff. And you can get to critique your own uh, advice here in a minute, uh, Kathy, because we're talking about that. But let, the th- one of the things, and I'm going I'm to turn to you, sir, in a second, but one of the things that jumps out of me is this 
when you mentioned in here, Kathy, about getting the email and, you know, you're getting ready to open it. And it just reminds me of when I told my editor that I didn't like her too much the first couple of times she gave me feedback on my novel, you know, because, you know, you think you write a, a second book and a third book and a fourth book and you think you're getting better. Well, you are getting better, but you still need feedback. It's just that, uh, you know, your ego has to take a little hit when it comes in. It's got all this track change stuff and it's got all these comments and you're thinking, I thought I was better than that. And so it's not really about that, though. I think it's more about uh, sort of coming to terms with the fact that uh, every author, uh, you know, goes through this. And and I, we interviewed David Baldacci recently and I asked him about his editor and he said he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't... Uh, used this uh, editor for the last 25 years if he wasn't hard on it. And this is a guy who's written millions, books have been read by millions of people that he's still getting feedback and still critiquing. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to jump that in. Sarah, what, what jumps out at you? Yeah, well, that that's funny. I actually was thinking of David Baldacci too when you said that and remembering what he said about how he still relies on his editor for feedback. So I think it's, it's really not about, you know, you reach a certain level and you don't need it anymore. You when you write something, you're so close to it that you will have blind spots, whether it's literal things that sometimes there might be a typo that you're just not seeing or a word that's not there in the sentence that you fill in mentally because it makes sense to you in your head, um, or just things that you think are coming out a certain way that other people aren't really reading the same way on the page. Um, and it's also just valuable to get other perspectives outside of your own head, you know, just to hear from people who have different life experience or who read and write different types of things and have a, a slightly different sensibility than yours. Um, and that can all enrich your writing. But yeah, I still, you know, I've been writing for years. I've been getting and receive, uh, getting and giving feedback for years and I still get nervous when I receive notes. Um, so I think that's normal. <laughs> well, not Kathy, because she writes poems that are like the pre-drought Mississippi, right? Right, Kathy? <laughs> Yeah, right. Sometimes they're that long too. I tell you, and then they need to be drastically cut. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just it's it's hard. It's hard when you're close to something to be open minded to to the idea that it could be written differently. And every time you go to a feedback group, you're starting from the beginning again with this this sense. Maybe maybe not quite the beginning. Maybe it gets a little bit easier to be open to it. Um, and this may be a, a, a different two-minute tip, but, you know, sometimes the feedback we get is useful and, and worthy of trying, and sometimes it's not. And um, that's a topic to, to discuss, too. How do, you know, how do you, when do you decide when to take some advice and when not? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the person who's trying to make a name for themselves in the critique group by sounding the smartest and coming up with uh, every possible suggestion based on every writing rule they've heard that somebody else talk about. Maybe maybe not all those are the ones you want to listen to, but uh, I think so, we talked about this in the past. I think it has to do with trusting the people that are critiquing you to some extent, that if you have a relationship with them and they know your voice and they're not trying to change your voice, but they know um, that they can provide you with some feedback that uh, will be valuable. I think that's that's what I find you know helpful. Not somebody's going to tell me, well, did you know, that uh, this writing rule is this out of there. Yeah, I knew that. I was I, I was intentionally breaking that rule because that character, you know, speaking a certain way has a certain dialect. I'm not. I, that's not proper English, you know, or something. But uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I went to a workshop one time with a person who couldn't handle people talking about their work without arguing uh, their position. And I have learned over time that that is a total waste of energy. Don't. Don't argue with people that are giving you feedback. Listen and try to pick out the pieces that sound to you like uh, work best for you. I mean, is, is that fair? 
I think so. I mean, I, there's a phrase that I've heard writers say that I always try to remember, which is to look for the note behind the note. Um, and sometimes you might get a piece of feedback that on its surface, you, you might have this sort of knee jerk reaction of like, oh, I don't agree with that, or I don't need that, or they don't see what I'm going for here. But if you can try to take a step back and really think about, okay, why did this person give this note? You know, maybe mm -hmm. they, they said, like, I think you should cut this section. And you might think, well, no, this section has a lot of great stuff in it, or it's crucial to the story, I can't do that. But make yourself think, well, why did why would they not want this section here? Are they bored by it in some way? Is it mm -hmm. repetitive somehow to something else that's in the piece? Um, so trying to, even if the actual literal note that you're getting isn't that useful to you, trying to understand kind of the thoughts and feelings and reactions to the piece behind it can help you identify other ways that you can strengthen your work. Yeah. Maybe to use a sports analogy, consider it kind of like uh, instant replay. When you first see the play, you want to argue about it. But then when you see it, when you reflect on it for a while and, <laughs> and they spend four minutes on commercials, you come back and look at, oh, okay, yeah, well, I guess I guess he was out of bounds after all. <laughs> Yeah, and that's one thing that I loved about Kathy's um, tip, too, was the idea of taking time away, because you really do, getting that outside feedback and also taking time away for yourself, I think, are the two ingredients that really help you put fresh eyes on your work. So combining those things is really important. My, my main point in this is to just give it a try, too, because I, as an editor, I can't tell you how often, and Sarah, this probably happens to you, I will have given some feedback and it's clear it wasn't even tried. It's one thing to be gracious in the group, and I can, I've gotten good at that, but it's another thing to actually give it a try, to say, oh, you know, I liked what you said, Sarah, the note behind the note, actually going over the feedback you've gotten and deciding, is there anything from here I can implement, and then actually giving it a try. Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that uh, when you get feedback, um, oftentimes, the critiquer has seen something that maybe I'm echoing Sarah a little bit here, but maybe they don't understand something. Maybe it's not clear enough. Maybe you need to try. And it could lead you to try something else or come up with something that actually makes the piece better. It's not exactly the feedback, but they, I, I found that a lot of times from my editor, uh, it might just be a question. This is really not clear to me, or I'd like to know more about this particular character. Um, you know, and uh, actually we had um, Charlie Lovett on the show and uh, he talked about his wife. Uh, looking at his recent thriller and, and all she said to him was, you know, in these last 30 pages of your novel, I think it's too easy for the protagonist. And he said, that's all I needed. He said, I went back in and I ramped up the tension, ramped up the conflict, had fun doing it, came up with some new ideas and it made the end of the book better. So, you know, it's not necessarily like you got to take the advice transcription, you know, word for word, but uh, you can translate it into your own own use. Watch the instant replay, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it goes back to what we were talking about with um, Kelly Holerfield, too, about keeping your passion and keeping your own take on the, the, the piece of writing that you're making and your own idea for it and preserving that even as you get feedback from other people, too. All right, Kathy, you get the final word before we jump to the next, uh, next topic here. Uh, next time you get some feedback, sleep on it and then just give take a stab at it. You can throw it in the trash can if you want. <laughs> All right. That's great. All right, we'll be going to be right back with some uh, children's authors, uh, but uh, stay with us. If you are an author who would like to be featured on the show, check out our submission process on the contact page of charlottemearspodcast.com. 
Please understand that given the number of submissions we receive, we can't respond to every submission or feature everyone who submits, but with the Beyond 300 format, we are featuring more authors in many different ways. You might be interviewed or provide us some audio content for us to play, or participate in an author or marketing talk, or get a shout out for your publication. One way to be sure to get a mention on the show is to submit a 750 word or less blog post to our community blog on a writing or marketing topic. If it's accepted, we may have you on to discuss the content. Just go to charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the community blog for details. Yeah, and on the heels of uh, Sarah's uh, melodic voice there with that little announcement, uh, Sarah, let's uh, let's echo that because we really uh, enjoyed uh, getting the blog post from folks. Uh, let's, uh, let's tell them again about that. Yeah, we've been getting a lot of great blog posts from from listeners lately. Um, and it's a wonderful way to feature yourself and your work too, because you get featured on our website with the blog. Um, we talk about the posts here on our show, we put them on social media, we put them in our newsletter. So if you have something that you are looking to promote, you know, a book that you've written, or if you just want to, you know, be part of the community, it's a great way to get yourself out there. Um, and if you're just looking for writing advice too, you can go on our website and check out the blog. And there's a huge variety of material there about different writing tips. So there's a lot of fun stuff to read. Yeah, and marketing tip here, oftentimes um, it's not you talking about your book that gets people interested in your book, but it's you talking about your experiences and providing advice to others. And so let us talk your book up and talk you up. You write a compelling blog post for us, put it, we'll put it on the post. We might even have you do the audio for it and play it like we're going to do here in a moment with uh, Courtney Donaldson, uh, and then we'll talk about it there. So yeah, check that out. You can find all the information on the website at charlotterspodcast.com. And uh, now, children's authors. Sarah, you uh, kind of pulled this together for us, uh, two children's authors in the community. Um, uh, tell us, uh, well, first of all, the books are, we've got Cheryl Smiley Oliphant. Her book is New Baby Coming, New Baby Here. I think I know what that's about. And then we got uh, Christopher uh, Singleton's book, uh, Chris and Frankie, Intro to Our Ebony and Ivory Key. So tell us about Cheryl. Yeah, so um, Cheryl is a local author and a theater arts educator. Um, she combines a love of storytelling and crafting. She, I think, is on, she has a website, I think, that's called theactivityauthor.com, and she's on YouTube as well. So she has some crafting ideas and videos for kids that you can watch that kind of pair well with reading. Um, she has a background in theater arts education and also holds a master's degree in theater education. Um, in addition to New Baby Coming, New Baby Here, she has a book called My Daddy Doesn't Need a Cape, which came out in 2020. And um, yeah, she's just really passionate about educating kids and getting them creative and getting them reading. Yeah, and Christopher uh, Singleton, Chris says he's a husband to Tony and they have two awesome sons, CJ and Joshua, in his free time. Chris likes to write or work on music. He's published two books in the Chris and Frankie series. He has two more on the way. He also hopes to publish before you publish your children's book, which focuses on tips for emergent and newer authors. That would be great. Look forward to that. Uh, a little synopsis here. Tell us about New Baby Coming, New Baby Here. Yeah, so um, when Elisa's parents bring home her baby sister, Claire, from the hospital early, Elisa has no idea what to expect. She is at first enamored with her adorable new sister, but then reality sets in. I'm sure this is probably relatable for a lot of um, older siblings. <laughs> Things get harder than she anticipated. So it's a book kind of about you know what it's like to have a new sibling come into the house, and it's a great way of introducing that topic to your kids. Yeah, and Chris and Frankie intro to our Ebony and Ivory Keys. Uh, they're two piano characters who are on a mission. They want to make the piano more accessible. Chris is usually alert and ready to go. Frankie, on the other hand, uh, he's a night owl. Can Frankie stay up long enough to do what uh, 
Chris wants them to do. Uh, Sarah, you uh, you had the questions for these uh, authors. You want to take us through these? Yeah. So um, first we asked both Cheryl and Chris, how did they become interested in writing books for children? In a nutshell, I always loved children's books um, up until I, I never stopped loving children's books because I don't know. I never grew up, I guess. I don't know. I got the Peter Pan thing going. But um, yeah, never grew up. And I've always, even as an adult, I, get, I got excited to see children's books. And I always had an excuse once I had my first daughter to go to the library to do story time with her because I had no other way of socializing her because she wasn't in daycare. I, you know, I had her either she was with me or she was my mom um, while I was at work. Um, so she's always been around just family. So she needed to get out and get social, meet other kids. So I used to put her in a lot of different things. And one thing we used to go to regularly on a regular was story time at the Imagine On Library. Of course, that's her favorite, but we also did the university area. We did the Mountain Island area. We did story time all over Charlotte. I think I went to every library in this county at least once at least one. It, it revived all the stories that was in my head, right? Because I've always had stories in my head. We all have stories in our heads. Trust me, y'all got stories in your heads. <laughs> Listeners, readers, y'all got stories in your heads. Okay. Um, and the thing about it is, I guess going to story times, it kind of released all of those stories in my head. And I was like, I got to get this out. But then I was procrastinating. I was still not doing you know, I wasn't executing. I, I had the plans. I wanted to do it, but I just didn't have the extra push. Okay. Yes. And I, I tell this story all the time. When I had my daughter in the car, I, you did not. Yes. I had her in the car outside of the hospital, right at the drop off because long story short, uh, we didn't make it in time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I became superwoman on that day. And I told myself, if I could do this by myself, with no epidural, no medicine, no nothing, just how the ancestors used to do this thing. It gave me some Wonder Woman strength and, and like just telling myself, if if I could do this, I could do anything. So that is what made me actually publish my book. This is how I got interested in writing for children. In 2009, I was doing an internship um, in a school. And one day, the, I noticed that the students did not like to read. And I had two options. I could try to, <laughs> try to encourage them to do it, or I could make the material more digestible. So I decided to go with the latter. And what I did was I took historical information and I turned it into a script. And when they read the script, not only did they seem to enjoy reading, period, but they were more, uh, well, I could tell that they were enjoying it because they were more engaged and it seemed like they also retained the information better because of the way that I put the information together. Basically, what ended up happening is as time goes on, I'm creating scripts with groups, 
Um, I'm creating scripts of my own. I wrote a, a book called The Adventures of Super Turkey, which has gone over well with so many classes, but still hasn't been illustrated yet. That's that's going to be coming definitely within the next year or two. Um, but basically, uh, what really, really pushed it was one day um, I was at work and I took a piece of a napkin. I folded it twice. I ripped off the top to basically turn it into a book. And I'm basically freestyling a story, or rather multiple stories, because I did this multiple times. And the kids, <laughs> uh, there was always at least one kid that would be like, that's not a book, that's not a book. But they were still engaged in the story on my little, my little napkin stories that were all freestyled. And the parents also seemed to enjoy it. I was like, wait a minute. If I could freestyle a story that seems to be enjoyable, I can definitely write a story that should be engaging and educational and things of that nature. So that's how um, I really got my, my push. It was those two things. That's a great answer. Great question in terms of inspiration. It's, it's interesting how, you know, people get inspired to do things in, in different ways. Uh, both these authors seem to have been inspired by you know, their love of storytelling and also sharing stories with others. Uh, uh, Kathy, your thoughts on what you heard? Well, just I, I think it's interesting that they they got into storytelling because of their love for children's books. And uh, I, I, that's my first love, too. I, I read to my kids. I don't have grandchildren yet, but I, I, I still have these, you know, my fondest memories um, of raising children were those were reading was reading every evening. So I I loved um, Elisa's story about going to every single library um, library branch for story hour, um, and how that um, kind of generated or um, exercised really the stories the stories in her in her head. Yeah, when Cheryl talked about. Uh... This idea of uh, story time. I, I do have a grandson. I, y'all probably know that by now. I've talked about him on the podcast before. But we went to story time in Durham. Uh, and, you know, the, f- the interesting thing is they bring in the audio, too. So he's clapping. And so you're getting the story and you're getting the audio. And now the picture books come with these little buttons you can push that play music. You know, And so it, it helps them with their audio, uh, you know, the musical skills as well as their reading skills. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um I assume, Kathy, that you did make it to the hospital and it wasn't outside on the curb like like she had. Yeah, no, mine, mine were all late, <laughs> most of them anyway. Yeah. Buttons buttons on the books, That's you're creating a little podcaster already. There you go. So uh, <laughs> your thoughts, Sarah, what, what jumped out at you? Um, well, I think they're they're both so passionate about the work they do, which is great. But it's also interesting, like you were saying, with the audio and the music being incorporated. And I know Cheryl does crafts with her books, too. Um, just that idea of like getting kids engaged in every way that you can with reading. You know, even if you have a kid who maybe is more into music, you can use that as a way to play music along with the book and get them interested in reading, too. Or someone who is more kinesthetic or more interested in, in visual things or doing art or crafts, you can use that and tie it in with a book. So just looking for different ways to get kids involved in stories and reading um, and loving that, even if it's not something they naturally would be drawn to, I think is something that both these authors are really good about. Yeah, and you asked them to give us some advice, too, right? 
Yeah, um, I asked both authors what advice they have for other authors who would like to write for children. Okay, first thing, write what you want to write, meaning if you like it, that's the genre you should stick to because that's going to come off the more the most authentic. Um, and it's it's not going to seem like work, of course, because you're going to be loving what you, you do. So yeah, write what you want to write. If you like more comedy things, if you like more, I don't know, dramatic things, you, you just stick with your genre, find your genre and just, and just roll with it. I love comedy, like any books that are silly, funny, quirky, that's, that's my fit. So yeah, my books are going to kind of be on that edge. Um, don't follow trends. Honestly, um, and when I say don't follow trends, I mean like don't follow trends to make a quick book. Don't write your book just to make money. Um, you need to have, be passionate about what you're talking about and know your why and know your target audience before you write the book, before you publish the book. <laughs> Definitely establish that. Establish why you're doing it and who is your target audience. So that way, when you write the book, you know who to market it to or who to pitch it to and and how to pitch it. Yes, you need to know all of that. So definitely do a lot of work up front before actually publishing the book. Um, do your homework. <laughs> yes, do all the work up front and just kind of like do a little reverse lesson planning. You know, I'm a teacher. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm going to have to keep putting it, putting it in there. But reverse lesson planning is knowing, seeing your end result before you start it. You know what I mean? So just kind of work your way back. Like, where do you see your book uh, after you write it? Um, how much is it going to cost? All these things. Just think about it, you know? You can't plan too much before. And then don't let the planning stop you from actually doing, <laughs> writing your book. After you plan, you got to jump out the plane. You got to go do it. If I were to give advice to someone that wants to be a children's book author, I would first say to them that they should do what they can to build their author community and that the focus should be on fellow authors as well as bookstores. What they should do with that is find out ways that they could support their fellow authors as well as support bookstores. One of the things that would probably be the most beneficial would be to engage with their content on social media by not just liking, but leaving comments. Outside of that, if they are local to you, go to their book signings, go to their book readings, go to their events. Uh, tell people about those events. Uh, if it's a bookstore and they're open to volunteers, find out if you can volunteer at that event. What's going to happen is there's going to be opportunities that would not have been made available to you if you would have just stayed at home. And so, so yeah, the main thing to, to summarize it all is to build your author community because there are possibilities and opportunities that will only happen because of you doing that. I, yeah, I love what we're hearing here about the, because there's a lot of synergy. We didn't plan it this way, but <laughs> synergy we've been talking about uh, all day today. And uh, the, the the nice thing about this is this is not just advice that uh, we can receive for writing books for children, but for really 
writing any books. Uh, and uh, that's that's something to riff on right there. What are your thoughts, uh, Sarah? Yeah, well, I loved what both they were saying. Uh, I mean, Cheryl's point about writing what you're passionate about and not chasing trends, I think is so important. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier with um, the idea of, you know, write, writing your passion and, and keeping your passion for your story through drafts. If you're just writing something because you think that it's what will sell in the moment, then, you know, when you're many drafts in or you've been working on it for years, that's not going to sustain you as much. So um, write what's true to you and to your voice. And also what Chris was saying about building your author community and networking is so important. And, and he's really good about practicing what he preaches there. That's actually how I met him was through um a, a writer's group through the Charlotte Mecklenburg library system. And that's how I got to know Chris and his work and ended up inviting him onto the podcast here. So he's, he's totally right. It does bring about opportunities. So that's very important for writers to do too. Yeah. And I know Kathy that uh, Charlotte Lit is about community and y'all have something called authors lab that I know builds a cohort, almost like an MFA in the sense that when you meet other writers that you kind of work through this daunting task of you know, writing a novel, but uh, they make friends and they, and those friends then, support them and they support each other and people at Charlotte Lit support other Charlotte Lit members and Charlotte Lit supports authors and authors support, you know, so there's kind of this, I don't know, this thing that come around, go around that that's, that's just part of it, isn't it? It definitely is. And, and I like that Chris gave um, a couple of different examples. I mean, there's the social media thing, um, which is so important. Um, I'm, I'm not very good about it. Um, because it's just not my area, but the other is just showing up in person for, you know, for, for events. And I love Sarah that you, that you guys met and that, then, you know, through that group and then you, you've had him on the, on the podcast. So, um, yeah. And, and everything building a writing community is, is good for the soul as well as for selling books. I mean, just, just being with people who, who feel the same about this world, um, is what enriches me anyway. Yeah, well, I go back to my journey on the podcast, and I remember way back when, when I came over and talked to y'all, Kathy, when y'all were just getting started, and I was just getting started, and you were like, you're going to do what? You're going to do a podcast? And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. And then over the course of it, you know, I meet all these people at Charlotte, and they're people who taught me in those classes, you know, I had them on the podcast, and then I get introduced to other people, and then I meet authors, and, you know, you get invited to different podcasts, and it's, it's a... you know, the writing community is really one of the more affirming, I think, communities. Uh, the authors get it. They know what you go through. They know what's involved. And so I think they uh, they want to reach out and support each other. And I love this line at the end, too, when it comes to, uh, you know, planning ahead. Um, but there does come a point where you got to just jump out of the plane, you know. <laughs> I mean, there comes a point when you got to say, okay, I've revised this thing 100,000 times. Uh, you know, it's time for me to go out there in the world and talk about it, you know. Put it, uh, I think uh, it was Misha Lazara uh, who was on the show with us, uh, Sarah, that said, I think it was her that said you kind of, you put your your work out there uh, on the altar as, as sort of, uh, you know, you just sort of granting it to the world uh, as a gift and those who need it will pick it up and those who don't, well, that's okay. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, she had, put, I don't remember put, exactly how she phrased it, but yeah, she put, did put your work that. out there on the altar and, and let, mm-hmm. let the people pick it up that, that need it. To, but jump out the plane is what she said. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what we got to do. Uh, all right, what's what's next with them, Sarah? Yeah, so we also asked um, how can parents and educators use other media like music, art, and crafts to bring stories to life for kids? 
the first thought that parents can do and go to is my YouTube channel, The Activity Author. It's Activity Author actually everywhere. So if you go to my YouTube, just search Activity Author, it definitely will pop up. If you search that, right, my channel will pop up and you guys will see almost 200 videos on how to connect books to crafts, how to turn books into crafts, craft ideas you can do after reading the book. For all the parents and educators that are listening, if you would like to make the books that you're reading more engaging, this is the most important thing that you have to do. You ready? You have to read the books multiple times. After you've read the book multiple times, it should give you an idea or ideas that you could use to basically enhance whatever the lessons, or it doesn't necessarily have to be a lesson, it could just be a fun activity to do at the end. Yeah, so um, we got this uh, echo that reverberates through all of our podcasts. When we're talking about book recommendations later, but this idea of reading. And uh, I know, Kathy, you've, you've talked about this before, too, how important reading is. We all even have some classes on reading like writers over there, I think, at uh, Charlotte. Yeah, and uh, reading multiple times. Uh, definitely, I know that that's true for children's books, but, you know, I, I find that um, in, in my reading, those books that I go back to again and again, they're, they're new each time and, and deepen within me somehow. Um, I don't always come up with craft activities afterwards, but sometimes, but sometimes I do. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's, uh, you know, Charlotte's podcast uh, is uh, where authors give voice to their written words. So let's, uh, let's hear uh, them read some of their work uh, right now. People always look at me funny when I say this, um, this page, and that's why it's become my favorite. So new baby here, new baby here. She destroys everything. She ate my bear. And now the fact that y'all can't see that the page in the illustration makes it that much funnier. <laughs> so we're just going to leave it as that. I want you to interpret what y'all think that line means because you can't see the book unless you get the book. So go ahead and grab the book. <laughs> but yeah, that book, that's just a silly line that I love from this. And it's, you know, babies eating Eating everything, everything goes in the mouth, like my, my aunt says. So um, this is going to be a little snippet from uh, Chris and Frankie, intro to our Ebony and Ivory Keys. Um, before I begin, the main focus of this book is to make the ABCs of the piano more accessible, and it is available for borrowing through the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library. Wait, right and right. They sound the same but have different meanings. I think they're called homonyms. That's future talk. For now, just keep on reading. Okay, now you've learned that I have the letters C, D, and E. I need you to give a huge round of applause as I introduce my best friend in the whole wide world, Frankie! Um, Frankie? But I don't want to get up. We have guests, Frankie. You've rested enough. Hi. Wait. Who are they? They are the nice friends I told you about. Remember yesterday? Yesterday you told me. Frankie, 
Hurry up. I have to go to the party. Freaky, you're not supposed to share that with anybody. <laughs> okay, we had a real performance there at, at the end. And, uh, you know, and Cheryl's comment about everything goes in the mouth. Yeah, I've seen that firsthand with the grandchild. Well, hold on, don't don't eat that or whatever. But, uh, uh, yeah, we really thank uh, uh, our children's authors for uh, for sharing their reading and uh, their advice to to our listeners today, I hope y'all enjoyed that. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump into a, uh, a community blog post in just a moment by Courtney Donaldson. Uh, everything starts with the foot. Uh, right after this, we have a newsletter called Beyond Three Hundred, and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts, leandiswade.com, saraharcherwrites.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. That's right. We won't spam you. Sign up for our newsletter, though. Uh, we we, uh, we only put them out uh, twice a month. Uh, we won't spam, as we say. That takes too much time. It does take too much time, doesn't it, Sarah? We'll yeah, do. for sure. We'll we'll give you, you two uh, nice, useful <laughs> newsletters a month and no more. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And uh, so, um, yeah, we got, uh, got a post here, Courtney Donaldson, uh, who I met uh, last year when I was talking to different publishers about my book. And uh, we uh, the, the title of the post is interesting. Everything starts with the foot. Uh, Courtney is the founder and principal writer at uh, – Vocum LLC, a writing business that offers ghostwriting and editing skills. She's also the associate publisher of fiction for Morgan James Publishing. She's written over a dozen books, but she can uh, call three her own, a memoir, um, and uh, she's got a faith-based book and uh, a recent debut novel, The Billionaire's List. You're going to hear a you're going to hear a uh, elevator pitch for that later in the show here. Uh, Courtney has called Charlotte home for about 25 years. She loves hiking and paddleboarding with her husband and teenage kids. And uh, we're going to listen to her post. I think it's very interesting. Um, it's uh, it's about sort of writing in reverse, writing the ending first. So let's hear what she has to say. Hello, this is Courtney Donaldson. The title of the article is Everything Starts with the Foot. Our feet take us where we're going. I used to be a physical therapist. I retired at age 30-something and set out on career number two, then three. With career number four, I've settled into what I believe is my calling, writing and editing. In the world of physical therapy, we had a saying, everything starts with the foot, meaning many orthopedic calamities are the byproducts of something going on at the level of our feet. Our feet lead the way for our whole bodies. If a patient complains of knee pain, look at the foot. How does it strike the ground and what forces are affecting the knee? If a patient needs hip surgery, first look at the foot. Otherwise, the surgery may not help. If a patient struggles with low back pain, first look at the, yep, the foot. As a young kid, before a high school English teacher told me I wasn't a writer and should pursue the sciences, and certainly well before PT school, I dreamed of writing a novel. If you had asked me what the perfect career was, I'd have said a writer, holed up in a cozy chair in a room full of books with a warm cup of anything but coffee. I never learned to appreciate any kind of roast. For decades, I tried to start a story. I scribbled a few lines on a piece of notebook paper during math class. Later, I typed a paragraph or two on the first word processor my roommate had in college. 
Later still, I outlined a few characters or a rough storyline in my late 20s, only to junk my work in progress shortly after. When the pandemic closed the world, my family played hours of Monopoly. Is there any shorter way to do it? Between heated rounds of buying and selling, the board game sat on the white modern table next to our scaling tiled fireplace in our family room. In boredom, I stared at the board. Then I stared some more. Mr. Monopoly came into perspective, the colors and the street names, the jail and the free parking spot, and then a story emerged. I wanted this time to be different. I didn't want to start writing a manuscript only to drag the document to the trash icon a few days later. Longing to prove my English teacher wrong, I did what I had been trained to do. I started with the foot, the last body part named in the head, shoulders, knees, and toes song. I wrote the ending first. The ending made me giddy, and a smile stretched across my lower face. I very nearly rubbed my hands together, as if involved in a sinister plot, because I was. This was going to be an epic tale, I encouraged myself. My cheeks hurt from all that smiling. This time, I said, will be different. Starting with the end fueled my fire to write, to labor, crafting characters as I worked backward to get them to that most perfect ending. Some writers say you should outline. Others use sticky notes of various neon tints plastered on a whiteboard or wall. Me? I wrote an ending that made me want to rub my hands together and cackle. I still did not know what genre my book fell into, but I knew where my characters were going, and it worked. After my draft, it took my first beta reader to tell me I had written a mystery. That insight blew me away. I had not intended to write a mystery, but she was correct. It was nearly all there, the dead body, the clues, the questions. I honed the mystery pieces of the puzzle and marveled at the outcome. I had done it. My teacher was wrong. I had led with the foot, the ending, and my head exploded with the realization. I had completed the two-year adventure and written a full novel, a good novel. If you're struggling with writing your book, my message to you comes not from my ghostwriting and editing gig, but from the years I wore a white lab coat. Ignore the naysayers, the rules, and the advice. Skip the science classes. Find your favorite mug. Fill it with a hot beverage. Kick back in your coziest chair and write the ending. Sometimes everything starts with the foot. All right. <laughs> I'm loving this. And also, you know, you would think that uh, we were really geniuses here and planned this episode out because we've got heads, shoulders, knees, and toes following uh, our children's book authors. <laughs> Almost like, you know, we just had all this in mind. I wish we could say we did, but uh, no, it fits. And, and also, um, I've heard this before, you know, teachers telling young students they don't have talent, you're not going to be a writer, you should do this, that, or the other. I heard a lot of authors on the show talk about how it's taken, it took them years to get over that kind of really bad advice uh, only to write uh, you know, a novel later that probably their English teacher in high school has never yet written. <laughs> and so I think, you know, it, it, back to the point you made earlier, ignore the bad advice, uh, listen to the good advice. But uh, let's talk about this because uh, it's uh, writing the ending first. Have either of y'all ever written your ending uh, first? Kathy, start with you. No, I've never written my ending first, um, but this is such a well-written essay. Um, I am inspired to, to, to try that. Actually, I think with, with poetry, uh, there's, there's not a rule exactly, but an adage that you, you, know, you, you need to be surprised by the ending. If, you, if you're not surprised, then, then the reader's not going to be surprised either. But I think that there's some, there's some wisdom in this piece for, for a lot of people. Um, if you 
if the ending excites you and for a long piece, like a novel, gives you some direction, it kind of is, um, as she explains it, it kind of takes the place of that outline. So sounds like, yes. what, what about you guys? Have you, have you tried it? Well, I was going to ask Sarah, if when, Sarah, your novel, The Plus One, when did you write the ending? Did you wait until you went through it linearly or did you write it earlier in the yeah, I so I wrote that one linear, linear, linearly, um, which is normally what I do. I actually with that novel, I I had an idea for the story, um, and I remember I I had kind of a picture of the whole story pretty early on. It came to me pretty fully formed, so I knew where it was going to end up, and then I sort of worked backwards and created the characters to fit the story. Um, but I I follow different processes just depending on how ideas come to me. I don't think I've ever actually written the ending first, <laughs> um, but I do think that it's a good idea to write what you have and write what you're inspired by, particularly if you're feeling stuck in some way um, or feeling like you don't know where to go with a story. Maybe you have the ending in mind or you have a scene that you can imagine that is somewhere random in the middle or you don't know where it's going to go, but you don't, you're having some kind of trouble figuring out um, your whole outline or, or how you want to start, but you already have something that you can see pretty clearly. Go ahead and write that part. You know, you don't have to do it in order. And sometimes writing out what you are inspired by or writing out what you feel like you can kind of see in your head will help to give you more ideas and help you figure out where you want to start or how the story should kind of connect the dots in between. Um, so I think that the main point I take away is that there's no one right way to do it. You have to find the process that works for you and also the process that works for that particular project and, and kind of how the story is coming to you, which might be different every time. Um, but yeah, I think it was great advice and, and it was fun the way she wrote it too. Well, I've I've not written my endings first in the in the novels I've written, but the second book I did about halfway through because I just I got excited about it. I wrote the ending and then I came back and wrote, you know, from the middle to the end. So I think there's something about uh the excitement of oh, you've got this idea. Well just okay, have fun with it. Write the ending, you know. It may change, you know, but the the, the crux of it may inspire you to go back and you know, write the details, you know, that get you there. It's, it's a really interesting way. Obviously it worked for her. It was her through line. She found the way that kept her excited by writing the ending first and then going back and filling all the bits and pieces in, you know, along the way. Um, I guess people who write very detailed outlines are pretty much writing their ending before they start writing their prose. If they don't actually start writing their prose until they've got their full blown outline. So maybe that helps to inspire them as well. No, I've not, I've not done that yet, Kathy, but Hey, on, maybe it's an idea. Maybe I'll try it on a shorter piece sometime and see if that, you know, inspires the shorter piece. A little it's bit. a little uh, like, um, Cheryl's idea of, uh, from marketing in the, in the last section about reverse engineering. If you, right. if you know where you're, if you know where you're going, you can, you yeah. can figure out a way to get there. Yeah, and I think that yeah. mentality is inspiring too. Like if you know, you know, you're, your vision for the project once you're done with it and what you want to do with it. Or if you have the ending already written and you are excited about that ending, then you're probably a lot more motivated to fill in everything else that comes before that and write the whole thing as opposed to maybe if you start with the beginning and then you kind of fizzle it out, it's easier to put it aside and not finish the project. That's right. It gives you something to work toward. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Well, uh, we're going to come back and wrap it up with uh, book recommendations, listener engagement, what's next on the podcast. Uh, so stay tuned. Charlotte Readers Podcast is on social media and we'd love to have you follow and engage with us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Charlotte Readers Podcast. Check us out. 
All right, time for book recommendations. We're going to start off with our collaborators here, uh, Story Charlotte Blog and Nest Novel Books. Uh, Mark West here is going to pop in for 60 seconds and uh, share a book recommendation with us. Hello, this is Mark West with the Story Charlotte Blog. My book recommendation today is a poetry collection called Family Reunion. It's by Charlotte poet Grace Ocasio. I think that Family Reunion is a perfect book for the holiday season. For during the holidays, families often gather together. And these gatherings or family reunions can sometimes lead to some interesting, memorable, and sometimes complex family interactions. In Family Reunion, Grace celebrates the family in all of its complexity. Her poems are funny, memorable, touching, and most of all, relatable. I highly recommend Family Reunion. Yeah, and listeners, Grace was on uh, the podcast uh, early on. Uh, she uh, teaches out at UNC Charlotte. She's also a very talented poet, so um, that sounds very interesting. Uh, go, go pick that up. And uh, here we got uh, Best Novel Books, uh, Alyssa Pressler. Hi everyone, this is Alyssa with That's Novel Books, a used bookstore located at Camp North End inside of the Retail Collective Locay. I'm here to give you a recent book recommendation that I finished not too long ago. It's The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. I uh, picked this up after someone told me that it was the most difficult book that they've ever read that they would have to explain, and I agree with that. I have no idea how to begin to explain what this book is about. It is um, magical realism, and it follows the story of somebody who finds himself in this um, fantastical world made of stories and books, and um, it just kind of follows his adventures, and it's a little bizarre, but it is beautifully written. I really enjoyed reading it. And I would highly recommend it, even though I'm doing a horrible job of explaining what it's about and kind of what the storyline is. I think it's a book that a lot of people would really enjoy. All right. And we've also got, uh, we had a listener call in uh, with uh, the organization Feed My Reads. Uh, so he's got a recommendation. Here we go. Hi, I'm Fraser from Feed My Reads. Uh, we're a book community all about kind of connecting authors and readers and we are based on being supportive, positive and non-judgmental and for a book recommendation that I would say I would be going for Tales from the Green Hills by Terry Miller. It has an amazing feel, it's grimy, it's of its time and it's definitely worth checking out and you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest and it's just Feed My Reads. And we love to meet new great people, whether it be readers, authors, anyone who loves books, come check us out. Thank you. All right. Before we jump into uh, our recommendations, the host here today, uh, just a reminder, listeners, that uh, you can go to our website, um, go to the contact page of charlottespodcast.com and, and scroll down and click on the uh, listener feedback. And if you want to recommend a book, uh, you can certainly do that. Uh, and that's the same place you're going to find uh, where you can make your elevator pitches, which we're going to do before the show is out. Uh, but now it's our time. So, uh, Sarah, 
what you got? What you recommended? Yeah, so um, we've got some great recommendations so far. I also just wanted to shout out quickly for Alyssa Pressler that That's Novel Books was just named the best bookstore oh. in Charlotte by Queen City Nerve. So congrats to them. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, so the book that I read, I actually listened to through Libro.fm, and they have a, a holiday promotion they're running right now where um, you can get a credit bundle that you can give as a gift, but then also get a free audiobook for yourself. So if you're interested in that, you can check out the details. We'll have them in our show notes for this um, this episode on our website or in the audio player. But I listened to Now Is Not The Time To Panic by Kevin Wilson, which is a YA book. It's about this, um, this teenage girl who creates a poster, like a piece of street art that um, she kind of just makes on a whim, but it ends up sort of catching on and getting widely imitated and copied and turns into this whole cultural movement and has all sorts of repercussions that she didn't anticipate when she first made it. Um, and only she and the person she created it with know that she's behind it. So the book kind of splits between her teenage years around when she's creating this poster and then her as an adult kind of grappling with the decision of should she finally come out and publicly admit that she did this. And I thought it was a really engaging read. Um, it's kind of a unusual premise, I think, for a YA book. So I liked that. And it had some interesting things to say about sort of art and how we create ideas and how they get passed along and transformed. Um, so yeah, it was really, really compelling to read slash listen to. Yeah, and Libra is a great provider of audiobooks because they, uh, they support independent bookstores. And you know, you also support Charlotte's podcast uh, if you do that. Uh, so check them out. And I was I wasn't quick enough on the uh, mixer here, but Alyssa, um, congratulations! <laughs> okay, I had I couldn't find I couldn't find the button, sir, when you talked about that. So, uh, all right, Kathy, uh, you got a book recommendation for us? I do. Um, I am recommending A Man's Place by Annie Ernaux. Um so uh, Annie Arnaud won the Nobel Prize in uh, Literature this year, just a, a few weeks ago, really. And so I'm, I'm embarrassed that despite the fact that I read a ton of memoirs, um, I didn't even have Annie Arnaud on, on my radar. <laughs> um, but now I have a new favorite. Um, so I was, reading, I was reading this slender little volume over Thanksgiving uh, weekend. And it just really felt like spending, uh, spending some precious hours with a new best friend, um, a wise, a wise older best friend. Um, I love memoir because, as a genre, because of the way authors um, typically examine replicative family patterns um, as a way of becoming self-aware and, and transforming. Um, and often they they follow a, a fairly typical um, hero's journey, journey, but. But um, a man's place does not. Um, she does something very unique with it. So she, some of these motifs are in there, but, but um, Annie Arnaud uh, grew up um, the only child of working class parents in, a, in the rural part of France post-World War II. And so she came from this very, very modest background. Um, and she did transcend her social class um, but she didn't really have to fight her parents to do that. To do this, they kind of they kind of uh, gave her what she needed and allowed her to be who she was. So her struggles were early, and then she writes this portrait of her father looking back. That is one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. She well deserves this prize, and and I hope you'll if you don't typically read memoir, this one's definitely worth giving a try. That's great. Uh... All right, and my book recommendation uh, is Craft Book. It's Elements of Fiction by Walter Mosley. Uh, he's uh, written many, many books. Um, 
well known for sort of his literary mysteries as well. And uh, uh, Library Journal says, a no-nonsense guide worthy of shelf space with drunken whites, the elements of style, and Ian e. Forster's timeless aspects of the novel. Uh, I found it to be a very quick read. It's really kind of an essay, but there were a couple of quotes in there I found very interesting. This is what he says about fiction. Fiction is one of the few constructive human activities in which we have the potential to make something from almost nothing. Something from nothing. That kind of alchemy is a recipe for failure and also the hope for the miraculous, which leads him to talk about uh, the blank page. And uh, uh, he has this quote related to structure that says, our writing has the potential to show different ways we can make our work transcend itself, bringing new and different truths to the fore. These truths are found in plot, character, physical appearance, place, ideas, and time as it passes. But the blank page quote was uh, interesting to me because it says, uh, you know, because a lot of people, <laughs> we talked about uh, writer's block from time to time and that kind of thing and, and seeing that cursor moving and nothing on the page. Um, he says, the blank page is actually the writer's friend. It's an invitation to discover the words that will guide you to the story. And you already have a good idea of what your story should be. The blank page will help you sculpt that idea into something real. Um, I don't know who it was that was telling me one time about, you know, whoever was sculpting, you know, using, we're talking about, you know, are you afraid when you see that, you know, big block of granite? He said, no, when I get up in the morning, the, the block of granite should be afraid of me. You know, so same, same kind of thing with the, with the page, you know, the page should be afraid of me when I, when I log in, you know, because I'm going to start putting stuff all over, but I enjoy it. It's a very quick read. And so, uh, all right. Well, that's our book recommendations. We now have something fun. Um, Sarah, remind uh, our listeners what this elevator pitch thing is that we do before we uh, share uh, three of them today. Yeah. So the elevator pitch is opportunity that's open to anyone who wants to participate. Um, you can basically just go to our website and I think there's a link through our contact page where you can leave us a voice recording and in about 30 seconds, just try to tell us about your book and encapsulate, you know, what the story is and, and, make it sound exciting <laughs> it's kind it of is. like a it, you know like the back cover copy on your novel um it is harder than you think ones. it's mm -hmm. harder than you think i mean you, you spend all this time writing this long work and then you got to compress it into a 30 second explanation we talk about this you know you ask somebody tell me about your book and they're still talking five minutes later they haven't thought about this you know mm -hmm. <laughs> so you need to think about how do you truly in that 30 seconds how do you describe your book and so we've got uh, three people that are playing our game today, and uh, we're going to start with Courtney Donaldson, who wrote uh, the blog post for us. Let's, let's hear her elevator pitch. This is Courtney Donaldson, author of The Billionaire's List, and this is my elevator pitch. As an introvert, the idea of book promotion leaves me dead in the water, and that's where we find Richard Goldman, the victim of a serial killer. Before his murder, the beloved billionaire left a list for his great niche to follow to settle his monopoly of holdings. Greta, more of an introvert than me, sets out to do just that. Meanwhile, the murders continue, adding suspense and a whodunit vibe to the story. Will Greta finish the billionaire's list in time? Plot twists, quirky characters, and a fun treasure hunt within the mystery rubber stamp this story. I hope you enjoy it. All right. Well done, Courtney. Yeah, see, this is fun listening. Look, if you're out, and I talk about this when Sarah and I go out, and Kathy, if you'll share it with the Charlotte Lick community as well, it's a great way to get free publicity for your book, but you got to practice it. You know, it's not easy to to do it in 30 seconds. Uh, uh, next, we have Tara Marshall. Let's hear what she has to say about her book. Hi, my name is Tara Marshall, and the title of my book is Saturday Flowers. 
and I'd like to give my 30-second pitch. I cleaned out the pockets of my husband's jeans one night, and a movie ticket stub fell out, a chick flick I wasn't invited to. My memoir, Saturday Flowers, is my story of being a naive woman who married a man that abruptly left. Afterwards, loneliness spawns serial dating. Readers meet quirky male characters, including a sensual Italian atheist and a Yankee candle collector. Throughout, I ponder, is there really such a thing as closure? <laughs> okay, I love this. We got suspense and Courtney's. We got humor you know, and terrors. And you can just see, you know, you, you can really feel what you're going to get in these books, right? I mean, it just kind of comes through with the pitches. All right. And so lastly, um, but not least, we've got uh, Sydney Horn and Sydney. Uh, is a teenage author. Uh, she's got a book, believe it or not, age 15. Uh, we're also going to have a reading from Sydney when we finish up here today, but let's hear Sydney's uh, pitch. My name is Sydney Horn, and my book is called A Shattered World. Eleanor Andrews is just trying to make it through eighth grade when her twin sister Hannah passes away from cancer. Now, Eleanor has to ditch her typical quiet demeanor, which is a lot harder than it seems. After her dog, which she sees as a last connection to her sister, is taken away from her own backyard, she goes on a mission to bring her back, while simultaneously battling issues at home, at school, and within her own mind. This story depicts the struggle of finding your voice and dealing with toxic relationships. It also portrays a new outlook on commonly used messages through a teenage lens. I got that. For all three of them, I give this, that applause. They all did a, did a great job with their pitches, and I uh, hope, uh, listeners, you'll be inspired by that and uh, practice your own pitch and... Uh, Look, you never know. Somebody might listen and uh, want to go out and get your book. Plus, it'll help you uh, hone that pitch for the next time you talk about your book. Uh, and uh, Sarah, do we have any other anything on the social media to talk about here? Um, not this time, but we are collecting. Um, we have a couple of posts up about uh, aspirations and goals for the new year oh, yeah. where you can drop yeah. in in the comments or through the contact page on our website, either one, um, if you have any reading or writing goals for next year. And we're going to collect those and talk about them in our year-end episode. Yeah, so uh, we had a little battle with Paul Reality, Kathy's co-founder, about uh, whether you should or should not make New Year's aspirations and resolutions. And uh, we're not asking for uh, you to tell us that you're going to, you know, write five hours a day. That's probably when you'll break after about, you know, a week. Uh, it's more uh, generic in nature in terms of what you after might do. After day so, one. <laughs> <laughs> after day, yeah, after day one, exactly. I'm going to go to the gym more. Yeah, yeah, I don't, that'll work. Uh all right, well, then uh, we're, we're going to finish up um, today uh, with, uh, uh, since Kathy is a poet, and uh, it just occurred to me when Sydney uh, submitted and wrote in, I thought, really, 15 years old, she's she's written a book and she writes poetry. And I thought, I said, Sydney, could you send us uh, one of your poems? Because I'd like to uh, put that on the podcast. So we're going to finish. Uh, uh, this is a poem um, uh, by Sydney Horn. Um a uh, young author who's starting uh, at age 15 and she's got a website and everything. It's really good. So here's uh, here's Sydney's poem. My name is Sydney Horn, and this is my poem, The Hands Versus the Scars. Today, I am powerless. Life is pushing me around, throwing trial after trial after trial at my face, laughing when my knees refuse to let me stand up, punishing me for being punished. I need to fight back before life gets the upper hand. I have to fight back. I will fight back. I am fighting back. I grab hold of the hands that reach out, offering help. The hands that are always there. The hands that never left. The hands that fold under a bowed head. 
The hands that move mountains when I need them to. The hands help me stand. The hands pull me into a hug. They tend to my new scars that life has given me. They show me that my scars can be a map and a light. A map to show me where I have been and a light to show me where to go. They guide me and they guard me. They prove that I got back up. They prove that when life pushed me down, I grabbed the hands around me, stood up, and shoved it back. The hands show me how wrong the scars are. The scars say life will break you. The hands say you are broken, but you've been healed. The scars say life will drag you down. The hands say you are strong enough to stand. The scars say you have failed. The hands say you have done nothing wrong. The scars say you are not worth it. The hands say you are worthy. The scars say you don't deserve happiness. The hands say you deserve happiness and so much more. The scars say you are powerless. The hands say you are powerful. You are strong. You are smart. You are who you are meant to be. You are you. And not even the scars can change that. Well, that's a very uh, inspirational message. Had a little sermon, nice cadence there that came through uh, with that. Uh, uh, reflections on that? I mean, that's a, that's a very... I don't know, inspiring, uh, inspiring poem. Yeah, it was very powerful. And I think it was a great poem to pick to read out loud as well. The, the use of repetition, I think, worked really well for that. Yeah, I was, I was going to say it's a, it's a nice spoken word piece uh, for sure. But I can also see it, I can see it on the, on the page. And I really, um, Sydney's picked um, a quintessential poetry motif and using the hands, um, the hands as an agent as the agent of change and community. And I think she did a really good job expressing that through her, through her poem. Now, I remember we had Jackie Shelton Green on the, on the podcast, the poet laureate in North Carolina about a year or two ago. And she wrote about the hands and her grandmother's hands, as I recall. And, uh, uh was, was also very powerful. Um, all right, we're coming to a close here, uh, for this episode. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to have to make a shameless plug because it's December. Yeah, I've got Christmas books and i got new covers for them. So uh, go, go online, check out those new covers. Car- Parker Books has them. They're signed. And uh, if you want that, uh, you know, that story where, you know, my cousin Vinny meets Miracle on 34th Street, well, the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy is for you. So that's my little elevator pitch for my my Christmas books. But new covers. Yeah, check out the new covers. Um, let's, uh, so we got, uh, Kathy, we really appreciate you joining us today uh, on the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. I had a really good time with you guys and learned a lot. Yeah, no, it's fun. We always learn something, and that's that's why we do this and why we've come up with this new format so we can uh, we can talk about just more than the books and uh, because we talk about the reading, uh, which is part of being a writer anyway, and also just debating these topics. And uh, hopefully it'll lead to more engagement with our listeners, uh, uh, readers who are writers and writers uh, who are readers uh, to, uh, to engage with us. Um, Sarah, you want to tell us what's coming in the next episode? Yeah, sure. So um, it's been wonderful to have Kathy here co-hosting with us today. And next time we're going to have Paul Reale, who is also from Charlotte Lit, as our guest co-host. And in the spirit of the holiday season, we're going to feature international best-selling author Wade Rouse um, under his pen name Viola Shipman, his novel A Wish for Winter, which is a Christmas-themed novel set at a bookstore in Michigan. We also feature author Carrie Henry Keefe's book A Tide of Dreams, the untold backstory of coaches Paul Bear Bryant, Carney Lasley, and Frank Mosley, um, what one reviewer called a story many loves around the common bond of football. 
And we're going to feature uh, Lucy McLaren's blog post, Mental Health and the Struggling Writer, which explores how to push back against the negative energy that sometimes haunts writers. And lastly, we're going to have our two-minute tip, which we always love, um, three different elevator pitches by authors about their new books. And as always, we're going to have some book recommendations and um, community updates and all sorts of stuff leading up to the holidays. More, more, more. So, uh, all right, folks. Well, uh, thanks for uh, listening, uh, giving us your valuable time once again. We really appreciate it. Uh, So uh, let's uh, read on and write on.